0: Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Amen and good morning. I'm Jim Roden, lead pastor here. It's so good to be back with you. Uh, last week my wife and I were in San Diego watching our grandchildren while my daughter and son-in-law could be in a wedding. We had a blast with Magnolia and little baby Luke, and how appropriate we're back here this morning, and it's Family Worship Sunday. So our little children are in here. We do not mind their noises. Parents, it's cool, man. This is our culture. You don't like it. You're not going to like us. Uh, A couple things that we're uh, known for, Uh, inclusive disability ministry, uh, we don't do every Sunday family worship style, but babies crying just simply don't bother us. We consider them a sign of life and vitality. So, opportunity for sanctification for some of us, maybe, and crying out to Jesus to make us better people, but welcome to Family Sunday. Um, hey, we are in week number eight in our sermon series through the book of Joshua, and we're taught in the New Testament that we're supposed to read and learn from the Old Testament accounts. 1 Corinthians 10 says that these things happen to them as an example of, but they were written down for our instruction, the ones on whom the end of the age has come. But that doesn't mean that we randomly pick anything from the Old Testament. We actually have a reason why we teach certain sermons and sermon series. And Joshua specifically. Why Joshua? Well, because we too, like them, we too are on mission. Our mission is not... To wipe out the Canaanites and take the land. Our mission is to make disciples of all people, some from every nation, tribe, and tongue, to get the word out, starting with those closest to us. That's our mission. But how does Joshua inform us, the big picture flyover, and why we pick Joshua? Because we are to execute our part of this mission well individually and corporately this is not just a passive add jesus to my life as needed this is our agenda it doesn't matter if you're a landscaper engineer doctor lawyer judge it doesn't matter if you're unemployed if you are a child of god you are to be a part of god's mission here in this world and we are to do it well we are to walk the path live the life model the mission for the next generation we don't want to just win the world and lose our children or the generations coming up behind us and that's so much about joshua we are to stay one step in front of those that we are leading that those that we are influencing we are to pass the keys of the kingdom on to the next generation and then get out of the way and that's why joshua Now, in order to do this well, we need to learn to order our way rightly. We looked at that two weeks ago from Psalm 50. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And remember the bottom line from two two Sundays ago. Sharpen your soul before swinging your sword. First things first. Don't get them out of sequence. But what happens... When we don't order our way rightly on this mission, in our families, in our churches, what happens when we just start swinging our sword and we fail to prepare properly, to prepare spiritually? Well, Solomon had a little bit of insight for us from the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 10, verse 1, an anchoring verse or an idea. This is what Solomon said. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Just one fly in the ointment. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Just a little bit of folly can undo so much good. A little bit of foolishness. I loved going bass fishing with my dad. And I remember in my college years, it was a a morning in the springtime might have been spring break I don't remember but uh, I was in charge of getting the boat hooked up to the new Chevy Suburban and so I hooked it up plugged in the lights put on the the safety chains and I was driving in about a quarter of a mile down the street something terrible happened I could feel it and I could hear it and then I could feel it some more but when I looked in the rearview mirror the boat was going like this, and as I hit the brakes, it started to pound the back of the Chevy Suburban. Boom, 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 boom. What had happened? What had happened is this. Uh, There is a mechanism in the tongue of the trailer hitch, and that tongue is supposed to go all the way over the ball, and then the, the mechanism is to lock under the ball, so it's got a solid attachment. Well, it was not lubricated. And that mechanism was stuck, and I locked it in place on top of the ball hitch. And just a matter of time before that thing was going to pop off, praise Jesus for safety chains, keeping the boat at least attached. Okay, because of that, I'm a little bit OCD about doing things the right way on, on certain matters. But... It's possible to become overconcerned with doing things correctly mechanically. And you know, like the, the dad that's OCD and like telling the kids, no, not that way, not that way. Don't do that. This is the right way to like everything's got to have a right way. And yet we can at the same time be morally and spiritually negligent. Cared way too much about the wrong things, and not enough about the right. Things. But let me assure you, the devil is in those details. You lose, the, you, you miss out on the, those details, you skim over them, and there is trouble coming. And that's actually at, the, at the, the foundation, the bottom line for our message today, if you're taking notes, is this, sloppy soldiers, shattered souls. Sloppy soldiers, we got a couple of sloppy soldiers in Joshua chapter 7. And because of that, we've got some very damaged individuals. If you have your Bibles, open there to Joshua chapter 7. I'll give you a little context and background to catch this up to speed for those of us who have not been here. It's about 1500 B.C., 1500 years before the coming of Christ. It's after the exodus of Egypt. They're going into the promised land, but it's before the time of the judges. Chapter 1, we discover that Moses is dead and the faithful Joshua Moses' apprentice is now in charge. Chapter 2, spies have been sent into Jericho, and Rahab has been converted. Chapters 3 and 4, Israel crosses over the Jordan River. Chapters 5, chapter 5. After crossing, instead of t- attacking Jericho, they pause. That's really important for our message and the whole theme of Joshua. They take pause. And they circumcise the uncircumcised and they celebrate the Passover. And Joshua runs into the angel of the Lord who gives him clear instructions on how to attack Jericho. And then last week, Pastor Tyler did a magnificent job of taking us into Joshua chapter 6. God is the strategy. It's a very odd military strategy to do what they did. But they were to walk around the city in a total of 13 times over the period of seven days why because the jews simply weren't that good at war they were not that good at warfare and we're going to see it this week and god wanted them to do something to demonstrate his lordship and his power and that if they would honor him and do things his way he would be with them and he would give them the victory and that's the same today I believe I heard Jesus say, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Before the walls fell, I want to just point this out because I loved it. Pastor Tyler, well done. It wasn't just Rahab and her family that had an opportunity to repent. The the people in Jericho had 13 clear opportunities to repent, as did Rahab. Rahab. Each time around the wall should have signaled something, something weird's going on. These are strange people, and their God is with them. Maybe we should switch sides, because God is gracious. Even in wiping them out, he gave them yet one more chance. Rahab is the only one, along with her family, that's spared, converted, and adopted into the people of Israel. Isn't that cool? It was not an ethnic issue. It was a faith issue. Well, we discover that so long as the Israelites were obedient to God and his ways, the Lord would be with them and give them the victory. Same's true today. In fact, that's where chapter 6 ends. Chapter 6, verse 27 says, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. And you wish that it would just keep moving in that direction. But what happens when we fail to order our ways rightly? What happens when we miss a key detail? What happens when we dishonor the Lord? Well, Joshua chapter 7 opens up like this. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, by the way, his name literally means troubler. Troubler, one who brings trouble. Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. What's this devoted to destruction thing? Well, um, all of Canaan was devoted to destruction and what that meant on the first layer was this, that unless they repented like Rahab... Every man, woman, and child would be wiped out. That's God's prerogative. Israel was just honoring him. He was their instrument to carry out his judgment. And they had been given over 400 years, over 400 years to repent. But God was done with them. So um, we discover this. That in Jericho, um, Jericho itself was to be devoted to destruction in a special second way. And that is that not only are you going to wipe out men, women, and children, cattle, livestock. But for Jericho, God didn't even want them to take any of the plunder. That all of the durable metal that could not be destroyed, was to be put into the treasury of the Lord. We read this back in chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, the city and all that were in it. It should be devoted to the to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were, th- were with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Verse 18, this is Joshua uh, giving this to the people of Israel from God. Verse 18, but keep yourselves from things devoted to, to destruction, lest... When you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things, and listen to this, and make the entire camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble on it. So it's not just going to be the person, the entire camp. in, In Joshua, God to Joshua, Joshua to the people was very clear that this kind of infraction was very unique. That if one person does this, the entire camp would actually be devoted to destruction as The Canaanites were. But then check this out, verse 19, but all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. In Jericho, nothing was to be taken as plunder. Nothing. All valuable goods would belong to the Lord. Now, this was not the first time that we learn about things devoted to destruction. Moses was clear in Deuteronomy 7. That's the final run up to the transfer of power to Joshua. Moses' final sermon is Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 7, Moses said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you and then he names a bunch of nations. Verse 2, when the Lord your God gives them over to you, God was doing it. They weren't so awesome. God was working for them. We should probably cozy up to God, right? Right? Okay, so when I give them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. And then he goes on to talk about why. The next several verses explain, here's what will happen. 100% of the time, if you don't do this, they are so given over to their immorality and idolatry. They're unrepentant. If they're there, your sons and daughters are going to intermarry and totally pollute my people not ethnically, ethnic was not the problem, it was a worldview, it was a morality, it was a spirituality that was going to absolutely devastate, and God did not want Canaan in the mind of Canaanites, in the mind and heart of his people. So he goes on in in verse 6, you are to be a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people who are on the face of the earth, God just says, and I choose you. So you need to be special, set apart for me. I don't want this Canaan in you. And then verse 26, jumping to the end of, of Deuteronomy 7 You shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. So, um, both corporately and individually, this was a very bad thing, very specific commandment. That all unrepented Canaanites were to be wiped out and all religious artifacts destroyed Because God wanted his people to be holy unto him. And in Jericho, additionally, no plunder, nothing. This was like God saying, I'm going to give you the first win. And for the rest of your life, I want the first fruits. I want the tithe, which means 10%. I want the first fruits off the top. I want that, will you trust me? I've given it to you, will you trust me? And so Jericho was going to be their tithe of plunder, was going to go to the treasury of the Lord. But apparently this troubler couldn't wait, didn't trust the good heart of Yahweh God. And so he took something that belonged to the Lord And in so doing, it became devoted, and he became devoted to destruction. But I need to let you know in the next chapter, we're going to discover all Achan had to do was wait. Isn't that so often true with how we sin and how we take things in the manner and timing that we want to take them? That we want to say what we want to say. We want to have the attitude we want and so we rush forward, not trusting in the goodness of God to provide for our longings and needs. Look at Joshua 8, verse 2. This is the second go-round, even though we haven't seen this the first go-round. But he, God said, you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its livestock. You shall take for plunder for yourself. The rest of the Canaanite cities that they sacked... And devoted the people and livestock to destruction. They would get all of the plunder. The Lord just wanted the plunder from Jericho. Signaling that first fruits. Will you trust me? But this troubler could not trust him. He would have had it all. But he refused to wait on the Lord. Refused to trust in God's good heart. And then rolled the dice that somehow he would get away with it. He was a sloppy soldier. Look what happens next. Verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but only about two or 3,000. Don't make everyone toil up. Apparently it's very, very, uh, like 3,000-foot elevation gain. Everyone doesn't need to go up, for they are only a few in Ai. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people. Now, what's wrong with the picture? Something's actually missing. There's a verse that's actually out of order or should be in there. Not because God's word is incomplete, but something's missing. We're going to put a pin in that and come back to it. Look what happens next in verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up from there, for, from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of the men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. It's a key, complete reversal of what had been going on in the Canaanites. Two times Rahab said it. And then after they crossed the uh, Jordan, it was reported that the kings of Canaan, their hearts melted like water. They were completely demoralized and terrified. And now it's complete reversal. The people of Israel, their hearts melted like water within them. A complete reversal of military inertia. They're now on the ropes and running. And 36 good men are cut down. What happened? And what happened is sloppy soldiers shattered souls. But our first example is really about Aiken, the Troubler. And it's this: you got to fill in the blank. Hidden sin hurts everyone. Hidden sin hurts everyone. This might offend your your uh, strong individualistic sensibilities. Me too. But a loving creator teaches us that we never sin alone. It's like pooping in a river upstream. Everyone downstream has to wash in it, cook in it, bathe in it. It's disgusting. But this kind of thing not just goes downstream, but across the stream and upstream. We never sin alone. It hurts everyone. In fact, every single one of us has and is living pain because of someone else's sin, specifically our great, great, great grandfather. Paul said in Romans 5, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. One man up the river was able to do this. This creation is beautiful, but not anything close to the pre-flood creation. Nothing close. The scripture says that The earth was teeming with life. And now when I go hunting, i got to work my tail off for three days to spot one good buck. What has happened? Well, Paul says all creation groans. This is not what God initially designed for us. And that's just talking about the creation. What about our families, our relationships? And even people closer to us, upstream, downstream, across the stream, all of us know what that's like to hurt from someone else's sin that we had nothing to do with. Our consequences for our sins always go beyond us. We never sin alone. Four simple, quick ways to think about this or see how this works. First off. When I sin, even when no one knows what it is or was, it's just in my mind. Perhaps I lust after a woman who is not Stacy, And I think about that. I am negatively impacted. And the people around me do not get the best version of me. I have been damaged by my own thought life. Secondly... An unseen culture is quietly but slowly and surely it permeates everything by the changed new me and things that I now refuse to speak up about or stay quiet about because I've been changed negatively. Thirdly, there are natural consequences of various kinds that always follow. And then add to that, I have started... New kinds of curses, and I have diminished blessings in my life. In fact, this is what Paul would tell the church in Galatia, Galatians 6, 7 through 8, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. You think you're going to hotwire this system, that somehow you're going to sin in a vacuum, that somehow your sin's going to be different, and you've earned it, and you're going to conceal it, God is not mocked. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Yeah, it might not be in the exact moment, but it will come to fruition. The one who sows to the spirit or to the flesh will reap destruction. The one who sows to the spirit, however, will from the spirit reap eternal life. So we're not going to get away with it in so many different ways. Hidden sin hurts everyone. The New Testament's full of this, by the way. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul would say, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Just a little bit of sin in the congregation, in the marriage, in the household. It spreads like yeast in a piece of bread. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Hebrews 12, 15 We're actually supposed to care for each other on on this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness. Wow, now we're not talking about stealing stuff. We're not talking about lust and porn. We're talking about a root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and then watch what it does. And that by this, many become defiled. Down river, cross river, and up river. Many become defiled. And it's interesting, the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting from Deuteronomy again. Deuteronomy that came right before Joshua. And what is he quoting? Listen to this. Deuteronomy 29. This is like the final speech of Moses. He says, beware lest there be any among you, man or woman, clan or tribe, whose heart is turning away from the Lord your, our God... So just beware that no one's heart's turning away from the Lord. Or to go serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. But it's the root. It's an attitude. It's a longing. It's a vision for life that starts in a person who is supposedly a part of the people of God. And But God is no longer God. Something else is taking the place of God. A bitter root is springing up, and in time it is, causes poisonous and bitter fruit because we never sin alone. Verse 19, one who, and then this is the attitude of the person, like, no big deal. Yeah. Look, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, yeah, but I'm pretty much awesome. It's only a little thing. If no one knows about it, they bless themselves, it says. In his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. And then Moses says, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. Both good and bad people will be swept away. Our sin hurts everyone around us, even if it's secret sin. We never sin alone. And how selfish and short-sighted do we have to be to, to sin with knowledge and think that it's going to turn out okay for us or the people we love? How selfish and unspiritual do we have to be? Sloppy soldiers, shattered souls. Now, I don't want to be unnecessarily hard, but when I said put a pin in it and I said, hey, what's missing from this. Let me just read it again to you, starting in verse 2. It says, just says that something terrible happened. And then you see this Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, to Bethel, and said, Go up and spy the land. Men spied it out. They came down and said, Don't set everyone up. Not necessary. Verse 4 So about 3,000 men went up there from the people. What is missing? Uh, Quick, quick clue, up to this point, Joshua chapter 1 through 6, with the exception perhaps of chapter 2, in all these places, everything that the people of Israel did was initiated by divine instruction and bathed in prayer. The people were to seek the Lord and consecrate themselves. In fact, let me just give you a quick survey. Joshua 1.1, 1, 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua. Joshua 3.7, the Lord said to Joshua. Joshua 4.4, 4, when all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua. Joshua 5.2, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua. And she, Joshua 6.2, and the Lord said to Joshua. And here we have the opening of chapter 7. And Joshua is just running and gunning. The attack of AI has no such leading from the Lord, nor is there a season of consecration or seeking the Lord. And here's the fill in the blank. I see a second sloppy soldier here. And it's Joshua. And here's the fill in the blank. Spiritual negligence undermines mission. Pastoral staff, staff, elder board, ministry leader, small group leader, Heads up, just because it worked last week doesn't mean you stop praying. Just because you've been doing it and it's been working doesn't mean you keep doing it. You keep doing it because you keep asking and God keeps leading. Instead of just phoning in and assuming it's working, just run with it. And start to neglect prayer and seeking the Lord and wise counsel. Spiritual negligence undermines mission. Now, I need to let you know, in two weeks, oops, he does it again. So we're going to put a pin in this for now, come back to it. Because this is not the only time. We love Joshua. He's a man of faith and action. But this is his shadow side. Joshua is ready, fire, aim, Oops. Could God not have told him, do not go up to Ai, there's sin in the camp. And yet Joshua, wanting to maintain momentum and military advantage, sends them up regardless. And 36 good men cut down. Years and years later, Isaiah would say this about the people of Israel Isaiah 30, verse 1. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine. What do you do with that? Verse 15 Isaiah 30, verse 15 For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel In returning in rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust, shall be your strength but you were unwilling again i don't want to throw joshua under the bus his his glory is that he is on the move taking action but the shadow side is that he misses a step and we see it a couple times in the book of joshua sloppy soldiers shattered souls well, where's the hope in this? The hope is found in the rest of the text. We're going to read it through. And the point is, and it's the next point in your, in your uh, outline, and it might be hard because I had it lower down, but now here it is. Um, it's never too late to make it right until it is. What does that mean? That every single one of us has a season an invitation, a period of time in which we can turn, repent, confess our sin, and see that perhaps God may in fact be merciful and gracious. But Joshua doesn't know that yet. He does not know what has gone on because he failed out. So here's the verses that are out of order. Not in the Bible, but in Joshua's own leadership style. Verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark. And the Lord, till evening, he and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their head. And Joshua says, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. It sounds just like the people of, of Israel wandering in the wilderness when they said, oh, that we could just go back to Egypt. He's sounding like the rest of his generation that died in the wilderness when he says this. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth and what will you do for your great name? And here's, here's why I see the picture of Joshua, you're responsible at least in part for your spiritual leadership in what has just happened In in how the Lord responds to him, listen to the Lord's spirit or attitude, talking to him like a man. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things and have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before the enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. The whole camp is liable for one man's sin because we never sin alone. And this was a corporate religious sin. They are all devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more, but here's the opportunity for jo- for Joshua. Unless you destroy the devoted things from among you, get up, concentrate, concentrate, the people tomorrow, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, and then he tells them how they're going to find the perpetrator, who has done in the last verse, uh, verse 10, no, verse 15, sorry, the one who has done an outrageous thing in Israel, so this is not an oops, this is not a simple trespass. This is not, oh my goodness, I was out of bounds and my mouth was running and this was an outrageous thing. They were forewarned. This is going to be terrible, not just for the man or woman who does this, not just for your family and household, but for the entire three to five million Jews. And God was nailing it back on that. That the entire camp of Israel was now devoted for destruction. Unless, unless Joshua would do what he needed to do. This is what happens in verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by t- tribe. And tribe the tribe of Judah was taken, and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken, and he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabbi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to God, the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan said, truly I have sinned against the Lord. ...the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar... ...this is really important that we don't have time to really develop. Shinar is the place of the Tower of Babel... ...and now the center of Babylon. And the beautiful cloak represents the things of this world. Shiny things that catch our eyes and attention... And he says, I saw that. It was amazing. And in that moment, he thought it was worth it. Not only the beautiful cloak from Shinar, but also 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them. I took them. See, they are hidden in the earth in my tent with the silver underneath. And we see the progression of sin, both temptation coming from a sinful heart but we also see the three kinds of sin that are demonstrated both in Genesis 3 but also in 1 John. John the apostle says, "Love not the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are passing away; they are things devoted to destruction." These are not our gods. You got a shiny thing. Give it back to the Lord. Hand it, hold it with open hands. Trace it up. If it's a good and perfect gift, trace it back up to the eyes of the gift giver. But do not let it become a god. Hey, the 200 shekels of silver in the, in the bar of gold, that was a lifetime's wage. It was like a million bucks. But what's that worth? To risk your life, your walk with God, your family, and your people. Love not the world nor the things in the world. They're passing away. But the one who does the will of the Father abides forever. So, to button this thing up, we see that Joshua sends some runners back to Achan's tent. And sure enough, it's just as he said it was. And so Joshua takes Achan and his his entire household and he takes them to a place called the Valley of Achor, which is interesting because it sounds like Achan and sure enough, it actually means the Valley of Trouble. And in that Valley of Trouble, it, it says here, Joshua took him All that he had, the the items, in verse 25, Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire and raised a big heap over them. And I want to point this out that, that this passage shows that God has the same standard for all people. Rahab and her household were devoted to destruction, and yet they turned to the Lord in repentance and were forgiven. But the so-called person of the Lord and his family that were supposed to walk with the Lord. Turned away from the Lord. And in so doing became devoted to destruction. But more importantly, I want you to see this. That Achan had at least five clear opportunities to come forward. You see that? I'm not going to go through them all, but at least five clear opportunities to come to the light, to confess his sins, and to throw himself on the mercy of God. And I can't prove this, but there's ample evidence in Old and New Testament that God is gracious and forgiving. In fact, Ezekiel 18, if a wicked person turns away from his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statues and does what is right, he shall surely live. A few verses later, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and rather not that he should turn from his way and live? God wanted Achan to come forward, but Achan rolled the dice that he'd get away with it. And in so doing, 36 good men cut down, and his whole family wiped out. Here's the question for us, because I know that there are secrets in this congregation. Some are very recent. Some you're hoping are buried in the deep past, but they trouble you and the people you love all the time. Is there a way back? Our hidden sins. And the answer is yes. First John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the brother of James, in, in, or the brother of Jesus, in James 5.16, we, we Protestants don't like this verse. We don't understand it. But James 5.16 says, don't just confess your sins to God. Confess your sins to one another. It doesn't say to go to the priest, but go to a priest. This is the priesthood of believers Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. Because God wants to forgive. God wants to be gracious. God wants you to live. And he wants the pain to stop. And the path forward is through that confession. It's never too late to make it right until it is. The door of repentance does not remain open forever. Hebrews 9.27, just as it has been appointed unto man to die once, then comes judgment. So do not put this off. The ushers are coming forward to pass out communion. I'll just mention that each tray has bread and wine. Take one of each as you prepare. But I want you to quiet yourself as you're receiving the elements. We're going to take them together in a moment. But I have a few questions. You grab onto one, two, or all three or four that that I throw out here. Is there anything in me, that's you asking about yourself, that's not pleasing to the Lord? Ask yourself that. Are there any secret sins in my life? Something that defiles my family, uh, God's people? Do I need to confess something before my loving and holy God? Is there anything I need to drag out of of the dark, maybe even of the past, and I need to get it into the light where it can be exposed to the healing, forgiving love of Jesus? Because you want to live. Take this time to do business with the Lord. Back to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. We already looked at one one verse. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? There's both an an interpersonal, internal call here, but then there's also a corporate call to be pure. Unrepentant so-called brothers and sisters are to be put out. You can't have it both ways. Are we going to walk with Jesus and be his church or not? So there's a very clear call for that. But there's a call for each one of us because at any given time, I'm a mixed bag. I've got mixing of leaven. Yeast is in me in a bad way. Sin nature. Constantly I do and say things that are impure unholy, unrighteous. I'm declaring that before you. God already knows. But listen to what Paul would say. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. Become who you really are. Deal with the sin that infects. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Passover Lamb. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And that brings us to the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. I am the sloppy soldier Jesus has become for me the shattered soul. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he says, this is my body, broken for you, broken for you, shattered. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took the cup, and he says, this is the new covenant. We've been studying out of the old covenant, the new covenant, God was going to give us a new heart. God was going to give us a new name. God was going to give us a new nature, and now here we are. And he purchased that with his shed blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the Apostle Paul would say about this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And we proclaim it to ourselves, we proclaim it to one another and we proclaim it to our community. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the better and more perfect Joshua, Yahshua Amashia, the Messiah. Thank you for taking our sins. Thank you for taking us objects devoted to destruction. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us to repentance. Thank you for giving us faith to believe. Thank you for saving our soul. And we remind ourselves of this and we ref- remember and reflect on your broken body and shed blood on our behalf. We love you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.